This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 203 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. So, this past weekend, Mrs. Wax Museum and I made the five hour round trip to the Palm Beach Card Show. And some of you might remember my conversation with Carter where he and I talked about goals. One of my goals for 2023 is to get to several card shows I haven't been to before. Well, I definitely hadn't been to this one, seeing as it didn't exist before now, or this was the first one. And I was looking forward to this. It was advertised as a 400-plus table show. They were spotlighting different vendors on social media. It looks like there were a couple baseball players that were signing... SGC was on site accepting submissions as well, but I have to say the show was a little disappointing to me overall. I ran into another one of my collector friends there and I asked him what he thought of it and he said it felt like a larger version of a local show. I thought that was spot on. Um, There was a lot of empty space at this venue. It it just wasn't what I expected and to me it kind of felt like they overpromised and under-delivered. And I don't think my expectations were too high because they were based on the way the promoters of the show had advertised everything. Uh, Nevertheless, I'm not here to bash this show. That's not what I wanted to start off with here. That's not what I'm doing. Instead, I want to use this experience to further the conversation about hobby goals because I felt like I made the most of this little trip, all things considered. I mentioned earlier attending new shows. Well, You know, I would have been curious about this one had I not gone. And then while I was there, I submitted nine 57 tops cards to SGC. So that's progress made toward yet another goal. And it's funny, I've been very open about my hobby journey since starting this podcast. Yet I still have people, they'll show up either on Instagram or the YouTube comments for my recap videos, and they'll tell me I'm wasting my time or I shouldn't be digging through boxes or, you know, whatever. And I'm sure some of you guys have received similar criticism from time to time, too. You don't just have to have a a podcast to get that criticism. I've never really thought much of it, though, simply because it's irrational. So consider this a little reminder or a, a public service announcement of sorts. Do this hobby the way you want to, right? Do this hobby the way you want to. You might have to answer to someone every day at work, like your boss, right? You might even have to answer to someone at home. But this is your hobby, right? This is recreational. So as long as you're treating others fairly, you don't have to answer to anyone here. Collect what you like and collect 
how you like. And I know that those phrases are thrown out from time to time, but I, I think it's good to reinforce that mindset. This is a hobby. Do it the way that you want to do it. And I'm glad you're here today. You've chosen to make this show part of your hobby experience. And um, those of you that are regulars, I'm going to skip the mail segment today and save that for another week. But I'm pretty excited about today's main segment, which will be coming up here shortly. I've got a conversation with an NBA uniform aficionado that I met on Twitter, who also happens to be a fellow Pacers fan. And we chatted on Zoom several times now. This particular conversation took place a couple weeks ago, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you here today. But before we get there, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is another Kyle I connected with on Twitter back in October. We must have been posting on the same Pacers thread at some point in the preseason, and here we are today, so I guess it was fate. You might have seen me retweet something from the account at Pacers Uni Tracker, and that's him. Uh, I was originally drawn to his 1970s Tops Customs. I'm sure we'll talk about those in a little bit. Kyle, I'm glad we could take the time to uh, make this happen today. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going well. We had a tough loss last night to the Pelicans. We're going to hopefully have a very short-term memory and move on past that and just forget it ever happened. And yeah, and by the time this airs, there will either be more wins or more losses. Um, probably, probably pretty even. That seems to be the way the Pacers season is going. A uh, little bit better than I expected. Um, although I was very pro tank at the start of the year. Uh, were you driving that tank, or where was your stance on that? I had a helmet on and everything. I was full on tank. Uh, I could not wait for us to just completely empty the cupboard and then trade away uh, vets. But this team has surprised us, to say the least. I had a few friends that are into gambling, which I'm not a, a betting man myself, but they were asking me about the over under on Pacers wins. And uh, I, after a couple games, I said, you know, this team's really, really bad. <laughs> and uh, well, then I guess Matherin and and Halliburton and co were a lot better than we thought. So anyway, things have turned around and now I'm rooting for wins because the losses don't quite mean as much. So anyway, here we are. Uh, good to have another Pacers fan on the show today. And as I mentioned in your intro, you run an account called Pacers Uniform Tracker. And while that sounds pretty self-explanatory, saying that you just track Pacers uniforms kind of undersells what you actually do. So if you don't mind, tell me about the origins of the account, what you set out to do, uh, and then talk to me about your progress so far. Yeah, it all kind of started around the time when the Jazz released their whole rebrand and, and uniforms and everything. And I noticed- Which is their, very plain, right? Very plain, very, just block, very big plain. block numbers. I think the the standard complaint now is the quote on, you know, the quote training or practice jerseys. 
for for the plain jerseys. But I noticed that there was this account that kept popping up in, in interviews and, you know, live spaces on Twitter and everything. And it was the Jazz Uni Tracker, Uniform Tracker account. So I started looking into this account and he had game day posts and everything and always was up to date on, on the news. And I found out that he, he had actually been invited in by the Jazz owner to see the jerseys a year before they were ever released to get his opinions on them. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, you know, does something like this exist for the Pacers? And I started digging into that. There were accounts for the Suns. There were accounts for the Lakers. There was a league-wide account. But I noticed, you know, this, there was this void in terms of tracking these uniforms for the Pacers. So I decided to create the thing that I wanted. I, I figured it would it would be a good way for me to kind of dive into my passion of, of jerseys and design and, you know, with the team that I love and, and share that space and conversation with, you know, not only fans of the team, but also just league-wide fans. So this is a pretty recent account then, because I, I think the Jazz just changed those uniforms. Still kind of getting your feet under you, but uh, seems like you've got some direction for where you want to go. And, you know, don't be mistaken, you've had plenty of uniform chatter on Twitter prior to this. One such example, I know we've talked about it before, is you've talked with a gentleman named Tom O'Grady. And I'm assuming that's all thanks to Twitter. So that's an important name when it comes to uniform history, but not necessarily a household name to the everyday NBA fan. So before we move on, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tom and about the things that the two of you have discussed? So a little background on Tom O'Grady. So David Stern hired him uh, in 1990 to be the league's first creative director. Um, And that's a role that he spent 13 years in. The list of projects he worked on is extensive and includes everything from the marketing campaign for the 1992 Dream Team. He rebranded two-thirds of the league. He also served as the brand architect for the launch of the WNBA and, you know, including the Indiana Fever and all those teams, as well as creating the identity for both the Toronto Raptors and the then Vancouver Grizzlies. So these are just kind of like cult classics icons in, in terms of NBA design. And he's super active on Twitter, which is which is great. And it's always an interesting person to chat with. So when I saw an image for a Pacers jersey design that had actually been produced as a mock-up, I asked him about it. And so for anyone who hasn't seen these jerseys, imagine a Bobcats uniform with the somewhat Flojo design with a gradient and teal. Uh, and then you've got this, this mock-up. And even to the point of the Pacers logo also featured a drop shadow in the teal. So it was just kind of full on, we're going to embrace teal. That was, you know, the move that the Hornets brought in and everyone fell in love with. So yeah, both a home and away version of the jerseys were produced. So anyways, I reached out to Tom to see if he could provide any insight. And he told me this fascinating story that I have absolutely no way of verifying. Let me start off by saying that. But as he tells it, the NBA Creative Services Group was working closely with the Pacers uh, on an updated variant of the Flojo uniform, as I previously described it. And then Gap, the actual store Gap, which I still can't wrap my head around. Like Baby Gap and that whole Baby Gap, Kids Gap, Gap Company. Yeah, all of it. They entered into an NBA licensing agreement. And so then the Gap submitted a series of uniforms. And again, as Tom tells the story, the famous pinstripe design of the late 90s and early 2000s was, quote, pushed through with big money, unquote. So the design submitted by the Gap killed the Flojo. And in the grand scheme of things, the Pacers were the only team to use a gap design. And the pinstripes were the only jersey the company ever worked on. Whether it's true or not, again, Tom went on to say that the Pacers ended up not loving the pinstripes, which is, you know, 
it only adds hilarity that it's arguably the most recognizable Pacers uniform to the larger audience. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's if you have a chance to have a conversation with Tom O'Grady on Twitter, I absolutely recommend it. Well, I'm not a uh, a huge design guy myself, but it, I think uh, there's enough stuff there that I could really grab onto that would be interesting to me. One thing you even mentioned was that David Stern hired him partially to market the Dream Team. And a lot of people forget that, you know, the Dream Team was a huge, huge marketing tool for the NBA. And obviously that's why it was so important to get Jordan on there and get some of those other guys in as well. But MJ was that key piece there. So we'll never see something like that again. And everyone needs to know that was very intentional. Now, uh, before we go even further into the design element here, which we're definitely going to touch on, I think we should disclose the fact that uh, you are not an active basketball card collector, which is a change of pace for this show. But I wanted to bring you on because I think your knowledge of different uniforms and some of the stuff that you're doing now on Twitter or some of the stuff that you plan to do and your knowledge of, of uniform trends and so forth could still be a lot of use to collectors today. For example, I feel like being able to navigate the current Nike era, which we'll talk about in detail, but I feel like that's really helpful when it comes to photo matching cards to games or studying source material for relic cards. And as all regular listeners of this show know, those are two exercises I get a lot of enjoyment out of. Uh, however, I still want to give you a chance to narrate any of your general collecting history, whether you were into cards at some point, or I don't know, pogs or sneakers or jerseys. <laughs> or whatever. And then I also want to know the backstory of how you got so interested in uniforms. When did that pivot? So talk me through that history. I'll never forget my first trading card, actually. Uh, it was a 1989 NBA Hoops Reggie Miller card, number 29. And I have an uncle that uh, has always collected cards for various sports, although baseball is his favorite. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he was the one who gave it to me, I think. It wasn't a high value card or anything like that, but it will always be etched in my head because as a child, I had the idiotic idea to preserve the card uh, by using my sister's DIY laminator. The card essentially melted inside the machine and I was just sitting there completely in horror. And the once pristine image of Reggie inside that blue key had become this squiggly, blurred, <laughs> melted mess. It was absolutely just terrifying. I would actually go on to work at a sportsman memorabilia store later selling trading cards. And my boss gifted me maybe 10 or so Reggie cards because no one in the area was ever interested in buying basketball cards. I live in North Carolina. And if anyone wanted to buy basketball cards there, it was a former player from Duke, UNC or NC State, sometimes even Wake Forest every once in a while. So he gave me these cards thinking no one wants these. They're, you know, they're worthless. Have them. And being a Pacers fan, I was so worried that I would ruin them. Uh, I immediately sorted them into sleeve pages inside a three ring binder. And I'm still scared to touch them. Basically gave them to my mom. I was just like, keep these away from me. And eventually I'll look at them. So I'm pretty sure they're somewhere in my childhood closet. But I, you know, I don't know about that now. But in the early 2000s, I started collecting jerseys, actually. I had one of the yellow Ron Artest Nike 72 Swingmen, which was based off the, the ABA jerseys. And I remember the Monday after the brawl, actually, I wore that Artest jersey to school in solidarity with the team. And my mom was terrified and thought I'd get suspended. Um, so she so, made it up. <laughs> not to interrupt you here, but yeah. I, I can empathize with you because I I had an Artest jersey. 
I wore it after the brawl, right after the brawl in public, yeah. uh, not in Indiana, by the way, in Florida, and yeah. uh, certainly got a few comments myself. Yeah, she was so worried that I would get suspended. She made me cover up with a Pacers hoodie, although I seriously doubt that that changed anything. But I remember going into every class saying like, oh, you know, teacher, what did you think of this? Like, what did you think of the brawl? And then they would say, oh, you know, and by that time it was Monday and the story had changed to where the Pacers players were, you know, really shown as thugs. But then after that, the team underwent a rebrand to, you know, try and clean up their image. And I just wasn't really a fan of the uniforms, honestly. Um, I always told myself that I'd buy a jersey once they changed the design, but I had no idea that Arrow was going to last 12 years and mm -hmm. into my adulthood. Very boring jerseys. Very boring. And I understand the design elements of it, of mimicking the IndyCar and, and things like that, but it just was a very boring time for, for Pacers fans. I thought I would buy a Paul George jersey, but then he wanted out, so then I didn't do it. Uh, then I considered buying an Oladipo jersey, and then, you know, what happened? He also wanted out. Uh, so it was kind of like this PTSD thing where right. I definitely became a bit jaded and convinced myself that I would wait to buy a uniform until we had someone who would want to be here long term, so someone like Reggie. Uh, but obviously that's not the standard anymore. Still a little NBA. scared to buy Halliburton or Matherin just, just yeah. for fear that something, cause I thought Oladipo would never turn Oh yeah, and it yeah. was a, a horrible villainous oh. turn. Uh, yeah, and I so... won't go into, I've gone into that a lot on this show. I'll try not to go into that here. I'll let you keep well, going. Well, I was going to say Tyrese and Matherin are the two players who are tempting me the most. Mm -hmm. I definitely want their jerseys, but we had that honeymoon period with Oladipo. And I'm just like, okay, I don't want to get caught up in this again. You know, so far, every jersey I've owned has been someone who was suspended in the brawl, which, mm -hmm. I mean, Reggie's always a safe jersey to get. But, <laughs> you know, that's just, I have it stuck in my mind. I'm very superstitious. But the uniform that I really, really want, I really want a Reggie Miller Flojo uniform, one of the authentic ones or one of the ones that, you know, still has the diagonal designs on it. Um, so let but, me cut in here real quick because I, and I should have done this earlier because I, when you say Flojo, I know exactly what you're talking about. Not yeah. all of my listeners are Pacers fans. So think of Reggie Miller beating the Knicks in that era. Yes. So like the Navy blue and then the, the gold and the um, white diagonal stripe towards the bottom corner of the Jersey. And those are called Flojos because they were designed by Flojo the Runner, right? Florence Griffith Joiner. There we go. So that's why they're referred to as the Flojos. Yeah. And if you ever have time, if you're more interested in how that all came about, there's actually, I think ESPN did a series, I think it's called Threads or something like that, where it's like a 10 minute video about the history of how the Flojo came to pass. So I have a background in design. I ended up going to design school. And so this has just always kind of been something I'm fascinated with. When we went through that span of having the bland Pacers jerseys forever, I would always kind of do these redesigns. And so I would either spend time drawing my own designs or I would spend hours pouring over concepts for fans. But I quickly noticed that there seemed to be a disparity in the quality designs among teams in the league. So it's understandable that Indiana is a smaller market, obviously, and the league wasn't necessarily looking to use its resources to promote a team that 
received the majority of the blame for one of the darkest moments in league history. But it was frustrating in the fact that the league simply thought that Pacers fans wouldn't care, or at least that's the mm-hmm. way it seemed, or that we didn't have an appreciation for design. So more recently, though, I, I actually feel like teams kind of like the Thunder and Magic have been subject to this a little bit. Maybe their fan bases would disagree with me, but that's just kind of one outsider's view. But with the rise of social media, obviously, it's easier to connect with fans and designers on a much wider scale. Um, And I've loved tapping into that. So while my Twitter and Instagram accounts primarily focus on tracking uniform matchups, I started the account with the intention of reposting concept jerseys and keeping a database of fan designs in one place. Um, Plus, it gives me just like a platform to share my own designs for the team rather than posting them on personal accounts and spamming my friends and family. Um, But yeah, so that was kind of the whole idea. That's what we us card guys do. You know, like, I don't want to see your kids. I don't want to see your babies. Um, I want to see your cards. So a lot of card guys have a, like a family or a personal account and then also a card account. Uh, and those of you that don't, that mix it together, you really need to split it up. Uh, no offense, but please split it up. <laughs> exactly. I can second it. It's just nice to have a constant stream. And, you know, it goes back to the branding and design. It's just a constant, you know, consistent design through the entire thing. Like you said, with the designs I've done just this season, this is my first season tracking the team where, you know, 34 games into it, I've missed one game so far, which pains me to say. One of the things that really was a sticking point was how am I going to design these? How am I going to give something Pacers fans can appreciate and feel like they're not being cheated? And so then I saw an image of, I believe it was the 1972 Tops uh, George McGinnis card. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is absolutely beautiful. So then the idea, you know, the gears started turning and I started getting the ideas of for game day posts, what if I matched up a specific tops card from specific years with different types of jerseys that we wear? And so those would become the game day posts. And then I'd even be able to put stats in it and stuff like that. And then even have little descriptions for each of the players. I'd be able to highlight different players every game. And so that's how that all came about, which has been fun. Okay, so now that we know a little bit about your history and what brought you to uniforms and your passion for uniforms, I want to take some time here and maybe not go into extreme detail, but let's talk about some of the major shifts in modern NBA uniform history and some of the resources you use to stay up to date. And we've talked about this some privately in messages, and one of the sites you forwarded to me, which I use in conjunction with some stuff I already had, I think it's called Wolfgang Sport Blog. And they have an entry that talks about NBA manufacturer history. Now, I will say uh, the real early stuff on there is incomplete. And some of it I don't think is entirely accurate. But that's like we're talking like 40s and stuff where, you know, teams had local manufacturers. So they missed out on that. That's fine. Right. We're exactly. we're going to disregard that. But I think from 1990 on, I feel like the site does a really good job. And uh, most team jerseys in the 90s were manufactured by Champion. That lines up with the types of jerseys I've seen used in relic cards for 90s players. And then things were a little jumbled from 1997 to 2004 when Reebok took over the exclusive license for a short time. Can you kind of summarize things from there? And then when you get to Nike, we'll go into more detail later. So just summarize for right now. Yeah. So it wasn't always you've got one jersey manufacturer for an entire league. 
for a lot of times, different jersey manufacturers were paired with different teams. So it would be like Champion covers these seven teams, Reebok covers these. You know, it was that was just the way even Nike was actually involved early on or earlier on. Um, and then they kind of dropped out for a while. But kind of in that same vein, in 2001, Reebok landed the rights to outfit eight teams with the rest of the uniforms being provided by either Champion or Nike. So in 2002, uh, Reebok takes over the Champion license, and then two years later, they take over the remaining Nike licenses, which made Reebok the exclusive NBA outfitter. Adidas, who had been trying to grow their basketball presence to challenge Nike's worldwide dominance, specifically in the United States, recognized the value in Reebok's deal and decided to acquire the company for like $3.8 billion or something like that prior to the 2006-2007 season. They would quickly move on to renegotiate the 10-year contract that Reebok had signed with the league a few years earlier, and they announced a new 11-year partnership that was worth about $400 million with the league. So, you know, big money. Under Adidas, league uniforms went through three stages that I'm sure, you know, you may be familiar with. They're simply referred to as just first generation, second generation, and then Rev 30 or Revolution 30. And those were models that were advertised as being much lighter using their final light technology, which is supposed to help wick away sweat, everything like that. Uh, Anytime you see any New Jersey designs being released, expect to see the word lighter highlighted repeatedly, like a buzzword for sure. And so these jerseys were used from 2010, 11 season through the end of the Adidas contract. So when that deal expired, Adidas stated that it would not renew his contract with the NBA as it felt it would be better to invest money in new products and players. But one thing that will undoubtedly be remembered from their tenure as the league's manufacturer is the infamous short sleeve jersey, uh, (laughs) which pardon the pun was short lived. But with any of these manufacturers, you're gonna have hits and misses and that's just the nature of the business. Um, And then when Nike took over, you know, the initial criticism was that Nike didn't make enough changes when they came in in 2017. But this was namely because at the time, Nike was focused on changing the construction of the uniform rather than the design itself. So it's funny to look back on it now, six, six or, you know, seven years later, with complaints taking a complete 180. And, you know, now it's, the jerseys change too often. There's not right. enough. There's, there's just too much stuff going on. And we'll get into that here in a moment here. I want to yeah. touch on Adidas real quick before we move on from that. So like you said, they had the NBA jerseys up until 2017 when Nike took over. You talked about the three iterations of Adidas jerseys. And I know you're not a, a card guy, but that's knowledge that I think can be important when it comes to relic cards, because you can kind of date some of the materials used in the cards. Like, for instance, we've still got um, Amari Stoudemire uh, Suns relics. You know, they do like retro sets, right? So if you look Mm -hmm. at that Suns piece, you can look at the material in that card and more or less figure out, okay, I can narrow it down to these couple years or this year because, all right, that's the Rev30 material or that's, you know, Adidas used different types of material along the way. Now, some of it's very subtle, but like I said, I, I think some of this information that you're sharing with us can be relevant. And, it's, and yes, it is very specific examples, but it can be relevant for some of the stuff that we're doing with trading cards today. So I think that's very interesting. Now, you brought Nike up, you started talking a little bit about the changes. That's Things just got really interesting with Nike. And I know I was personally excited about the switch to Nike uh, maybe not so much now that I've seen it play out. What was your initial feelings about that switch to Nike? 
So I am a Nike guy. And, you know, something I mentioned earlier on was the Pacers had those jerseys after the brawl for so, so long. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, Nike's coming in. Hopefully we will get something new. And thankfully the Pacers did get something new. Um, we were one of the few teams that actually did go through like a full rebrand early on. It was interesting seeing one of the biggest changes was how Nike made this clear distinction of they were getting rid of the home and road jerseys that mm-hmm. the NBA had traditionally used, but kind of not really. We can talk about that more later. But up to this point, teams would have two primary jerseys and occasionally a third alternate jersey, you know, to highlight a tertiary color or throwback design of some sort. When Nike came in, they announced that every team would have a minimum of four uniform designs for any given season with the possibility of two additional design sets. So again, this goes back to having consistency with the teams where we had previously had maybe three jerseys. Now we've got up to six. From a marketing and sales standpoint, it's easy to see why the assumption was made that double the jersey options would translate to double the jersey sales. But the decision has been met with its fair share of criticism, obviously. Jersey sets aside, there are some key differences when comparing the previous Adidas jerseys, the the Rev 30 to Nike jerseys, in terms of jersey construction, we saw fairly major changes to the neck, collar, and the back arm or the back shoulder and armhole. So for the collar, you may remember that some teams utilized a triangular badge uh, that would usually have a primary or secondary logo right above kind of like the sternum area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've Nike- seen they used to make just exclusive sets card sets that had those patches in there and they were uh, very rare sets. Now the Pacers never had it, but like the Nuggets had it. um, I don't know. The Cavs, the Hawks, like some of those, I think some of those teams had them. Yeah. The Grizzlies had it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very much an iconic thing that a lot of teams had. So with Nike, these collars were simplified and the logo was either eliminated completely or actually moved to the waistband of the shorts. So, you know, now we kind of can see how that has played out. Uh, the new color designs are also a bit higher on the front, not to look baggy or stretched out. And, you know, that kind of plays into this kind of ongoing theme that we'll see throughout Nike, where they focused on the mobility of players um, and cutting the jerseys a different way and actually constructing them in a manner where apparently in years past with Adidas and Reebok, players would size up in their jerseys to have kind of a free range of mobility. With Nike, they tested and did all this body mapping and all this, you know, interesting technology that they'll talk about. But now players are wearing what's supposed to be their true size of jersey, which is also interesting from the fact of, you know, if you're taking numbered sets and number cards and stuff like that, if you look at it just from a a very plain point of view, smaller jerseys mean smaller amounts Mm -hmm. of material available to cut up and put into patches and things like that. So for the armhole that I mentioned, while Adidas jersey had a longer kind of more swooping opening uh, that extended further down the torso, Nike opted for a higher cut that curved more in towards the center of the uniform, uh, eliminating that excess fabric to allow kind of like a freer motion if you think of, you know, swinging your arms back and forth. Tying into the armhole, the back shoulder was redesigned from Adidas continuous kind of ribbed design to Nike's overlapping design that starts high on the back and then on the shoulder on the high back of the shoulder, sorry, instead of at the top of the shoulder before wrapping underneath the arm and then curving kind of up into the neckline. Um, Again, this change in cut and construction gives the players more mobility. Another thing that Nike did that they're very, very proud of is they say that they added these nodes or for, for breathability. So apparently on the inside of the jersey, there are these tiny, tiny nodes that lift the jersey off the skin just enough (laughs) to allow players to wick sweat more. 
Whether that is true or not, I have no idea. They say it, you know, that's going to be part of the marketing pitch. But, you know, these, you know, they always say, like I said earlier, the buzzword, the jerseys are 20% lighter than the, the Rev 30 uniforms. Um, and these are using Nike's vapor in it material. So that's supposed to be this quick drying engineered fabric with dry fit technology. Again, more buzzwords. One of the interesting things, though, is that the front and the back of the jerseys are two different materials. So mm. the back of the jersey is actually a, like an open hole mesh it's supposed to allow more breathability on the back. And then these jerseys are made from 100% recycled polyester fabric. So, you know, I always say that the, the you know, with every jersey manufacturer, you're going to have ups and downs, hits and misses. One of the things that Nike took a fair amount of criticism for at the very beginning of their contract, which you may remember, is their jerseys kept ripping. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so who, it, who was it that someone, well, I guess that was the Christmas one. LeBron just, I guess that was Adidas. LeBron just straight up ripped the sleeve off at one point. Yeah. No, there was a player in a game though. I want to say his Jersey, just like it was, it was a big rip. So, and it's funny because it ended up happening to very, very high name players. Like it happened to mm-hmm. LeBron. I think it maybe happened to Chris Paul. Um, I think Blake Griffin, but anyways, and I know it happened to Kevin Love at one point, but there's images where you can it's showing the back of the player and it's just like completely ripped between the numbers (laughs) and apparently it was something about the process that they were using to put the numbers on the jerseys which they found out how to fix it or whatever and then thankfully the issue stopped but i mean the first month of the season i think it was there were like six or seven jersey rips which was insane and you know Unfortunately, it got pinned on, you know, in the marketing efforts, Nike went and said, oh, we're using recycled bottles as part of this, da, 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 and people unfairly pinned it on that. But it was actually the process of putting the numbers and, and wordmark on the jersey itself. Right. Contrast that to the the brawl jersey Ron Artest is wearing. That does not get ripped. It's just no. stretched, stretched beyond <laughs> belief. Him and Austin Crozier both just stretched beyond belief being pulled by numerous people, but never ripping, right? Very exactly. strong jerseys. So you're telling yeah. me then uh, in theory that if if I've got a, a piece of Nike material and it's got a little bit larger mesh holes in it, that's from the back of the jersey, most yes. likely. Whereas then the um, more tight, I, I don't know, tight knit, I don't know what the right word for that is, more closed mm-hmm. um, mesh holes would be from the front of the jersey, which I never, I never knew that. So that's interesting. Yeah, no. So yeah, you're going to tell, you'd be able to tell the difference in those two materials. And you can sometimes even see the difference in a game. Sometimes you'll see almost like a, it's not, it doesn't look like there's holes penetrated in the jersey, but sometimes you'll see a little bit of a pattern on the player's backs. And that's kind of that supposed to be that open mesh kind of material that allows for that breathability in the back. I know Nike said that what they were avoiding was when you'll see players put their kind of thumbs in their armholes and stretch their jersey out from their chest, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of trying to get some air movement in there. So that's where, the, you know, the nodes come in and all of that stuff, whether again, that works or not, I have no idea. But that's been the motivation apparently behind Nike's redesign. Okay, guys, allow me to interrupt for a moment here to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at Checkout My Cards. 
Okay, so before we move on, you alluded to changes with the number patches and how they were attached to jerseys. Let's talk real quick about some of the other patches that come standard on NBA jerseys now, uh, regardless of teams. What can you tell me about those real quick? Yeah, so with the introduction of Nike jerseys, we also start the start of jersey sponsor patches opposite of the Nike swoosh where the NBA logo used to sit. Now, Adidas had already changed that with the Rev 30 uniforms where the logo went from the front left shoulder to the back below the collar. Um, the Nike continued this. So we kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah, it was, it was a long time in the works. Um, I know pieces or teams like the Pacers held out for as long as they could, but eventually everyone now has a jersey sponsor. But one thing that was really interesting, speaking of the NBA logo patch on the back, with the change in jersey manufacturers, it also coincided or coincided with the NBA altering their official colors and their logo for the first time in nearly 50 years. So the updated logo features slightly darker and more muted shades of blue and red and utilizes a taller and narrower version of the typography used for the NBA text. So I know online you can find images where it's a side-by-side comparison. And it's actually really interesting to see that change, especially league-wide as for brand iconic as the NBA. Right. Um, I mean, obviously we saw teams make changes and in, even though in the early days it was very, very subtle things like word mark and side panels and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, now the list of changes under Nike for teams is so incredibly long, especially when compared to, you know, what happened under Reebok and Nike where maybe two, three teams went on, or like underwent major rebrands under them. Mm-hmm. Um, except for like the jazz undergo a rebrand under every single Jersey manufacturer. Um, but yeah, so it's been, diff- it's been interesting to see that change play out for sure. I wish I would have known about that. Uh, when I interviewed Alan Siegel, uh, who designed the NBA logo and he, he, you know, he didn't mention it either. So I'm not in, I'm not sure. I mean, I doubt anyone's going to contact him about that anyway. So I'm not sure if he knows that or or if he's, seen that change so that that's pretty interesting um and now they still are using the kind of plastic nba logo patch we call them patches but they've changed they're not stitched like they used to be is that correct so i've seen and that's the thing i've seen varying reports about whether they're actually stitched or not i don't believe that they are um especially with the you know with the move to kind of use Right. Well, the, the ones that are showing up in cards now and, and granted, I'm not talking about the unworn jerseys that they're cutting up. I know people yeah. are going to try and tell me that the ones from game worn cards that I'm seeing now, even of veteran players are the plastic patches. Oh yeah. Or, I would, plastic might not be the right word, but it's definitely not stitched. It's like that silk screen kind of material. Um, I would imagine that would be what they're using on the game worn jerseys just because, you know, in the same vein of, always wanting to get lighter and, you know, more, you know, breathable jerseys, having something that's physically stitched on that could potentially like itch at the back mm-hmm. of a player, you know, on a player's skin probably seems like something the league or Nike wouldn't want to do. So yeah, those are probably like that silk screen material or something similar. Which sure. is a shame because um, the patches now seem kind of like heat, heat pressed or something. And there, you can't really identify them like you could in patch cards for the other cards. And then the logo men cards, it used to be that, you know, no two logo men were exactly alike. So you could actually use the stitching from a logo man in a card. And if you had good enough photos, which is not often, but if you had good enough photos, you could match that up 
to a logo man that was used in a game. But those days, unfortunately, are long gone. So, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say now, you know, all that being said of the league, probably avoiding pitching and stuff like that on the classic jerseys. And, you know, this gets into the whole set of Nike jerseys where you've got association icon statement city earned, which are now defunct apparently in classic, the classic or the classic jerseys feature the Nike Futura logo where that is physically stitched on with the Nike swoop. So it says Nike in the Futura font and then has the swoop those are physically stitched on. So it'll be interesting to see if those pop up in patches, you know. Okay, good. So that, so that, uh, I mean, combined with the fact that they don't use those jerseys often, if you get one of those in the future, it should be from a specific jersey then. Uh, Should be, or at least it should be one that you can uh, research a little bit and figure out where it came from. Okay, so you keep track of a lot of that kind of stuff. And I know that's a very generic uh, summary of all that. You keep (laughs) track of a lot of that kind of stuff on Twitter, which seems like a lot of hard work. And up until the Nike era, whenever I wanted to see different jerseys that teams wore each season and what commemorative patches they wore and so on, which I just did that with a a Roy Hibbert. I had a Mel Simon patch that I got in a card, but I used to use a website called sportslogos.net. And I still use it a lot, especially when I'm looking at 2000s relics or I'm looking at obscure patches. It's an awesome resource. For whatever reason, though, they stopped updating things with the Nike era. My guess is maybe it was too much work. I don't know. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I I have a feeling it's probably something along that, you know, same kind of idea with, I mean, sportslogos.net, I used to use it all of the time. I still reference it now. I know Chris Creamer, who runs the site and was the one who started it. I'm sure he probably felt a little bit overwhelmed when, you know, Nike started releasing jerseys. Each like team every has other six week. jerseys. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot to keep up with. And I mean, and then you've got, I mean, just the subtle changes with the 75th anniversary where the Nike logo has now a diamond pattern on it instead of the normal white or, or team color that used to be there. So, you know, it's kind of become an interwoven mess. And I'm sure uh, it's been a lot to keep up with. I mean, there's there's another website that I have started using. So they started on they actually had a Tumblr page. Um, that was NBA Jersey database. And now they're, they're kind of starting to form their own website, which is, I believe, bballjerseys.com, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they have been working to catalog every team's Jersey, um, back from when the team was first, you know, came into existence and they've even done defunct teams as well. But I mean, just the other day, I was interested in seeing, all-star jerseys from Mm -hmm. from the past and it has it even you know all-star jerseys from the 50s are there and so just how i mentioned we'll have a season like the 75th anniversary of the nba all of the nike logos were different it will have a specific post for that year showing the logo changed or if there's anything like you know there was a time when the nba logo man on the shorts was actually down by the down lower on the pant on the bottom right and then it moved up closer to the waistband. And so even there, it'll show the differentiation between those. Um, and so it's an extensive catalog that I've used pretty much frequently throughout my time with this, you know, with these accounts and even before that. And they're constantly updating the website. So it's something that's become, you know, the, the new standard moving forward for sure. 
And I know since you sent that link to me maybe a, a week or two ago, and I know I've been using it quite a bit just since then. So that'll be something that I use probably a lot going forward. Now, since we're talking about resources here, I'm going to pitch something to you that I want, and maybe it exists. Okay. So, so maybe you, you can help me out here, or maybe you can inspire one of yourself or one of your friends to do this. But uh, one thing I've always wanted, uh, I wish there was a site that showed who wore what uniform in what game. And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, the Bulls had these black alternates with red pinstripes. They, they wore them in 1995 and 1996, just those two years. And I had a Jordan relic card that um, had one of those pinstripes and I was trying to match it to a specific game because I had a picture of that jersey as well. I had the source material. Um, so in order to figure out when they wore those uniforms, I had to pull up the schedule on basketball reference. I had to pull up every highlight clip from those seasons on YouTube, which you don't normally have that luxury for the 90s, but the Bulls were everywhere. And then I had to pull up every photo I could from Getty Images. And eventually I found out, all right, they wore those uniforms on these specific dates, but it was, it took a lot of work on my part. It would have been a lot easier if there was a website that simply listed when they wore those black alternates. Now, admittedly, that's hard to do for the 90s, but I think it could be easily done for the Adidas and Nike eras. Uh, you're doing that kind of on Twitter right now, but I don't see it all in one spot. I still have to kind of look for it. Is there anything like that out there? So the answer is yes and no. So I believe it was last year when when they started doing this. The league probably saw the the increasing fandom with tracking jerseys and just not even that, but just allowing fans of teams to know what jersey your team is going to wear that night. So let's say you're a Pacers fan and you're playing, you know, the Warriors or something like that. Are the Pacers going to wear blue or are they going to wear yellow or are they going to wear white? And, you know, what team, what uniform are the Warriors going to wear? Because I don't want to look like a Warriors fan going to a Pacers game if I'm going to root for my team. So they developed this website called Locker Vision and they publish it kind of close to the start of every season. And what it does is it shows you every night what each uniform or what each team is going to wear, not only for their uniforms, but also for their warmups, what, you know, what towels they're going to use to wipe their sweat, um, <laughs> all of these different factors. And so it, it's been a little bit disappointing because they started, I believe, like I said, last year, as far as I know, the website has been wiped to where you can't see what happened last year. Although, you know, now it just shows data from this year. As far as I know, again, the website's only been wrong maybe a handful of times. And that's always, you know, kind of a, it's, it's, it always pops up in a group chat that I have with other uniform trackers from the league where uh, they said that they were let down or something like that, especially after putting out a post <laughs> saying, oh, we're going to wear this jersey. Made, made them look dumb. Yeah, I think it recently happened with the Rockets. The Locker Vision listed they were going to wear, I think, like a black jersey, and Houston rolled out with a red jersey. Most of the time, like 99.9% .9 of the time, Locker Vision is correct. Now, the nice thing is it also shows and gives a description of all the different sets of or all the different types of jersey within that Nike set. So that's super nice. But yeah, that has been an invaluable resource as well, especially being able to plan forward. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to do a game day post, not knowing the uniform until maybe five to 10 minutes before the game. But it's allowed me to go back through the entire last season, be able to track results, this season track results, 
Um, and it's made my job and the other uniform tracker jobs much, much easier. And I imagine it would be the same for, for card collectors as well. And you mentioned toward the intro that you are, in fact, a superstitious person. So when you see those trends, uh, I, I imagine, and let's say they're winning in their their gold statement uniforms, you see them wearing them again, you're going to feel great about that game because you are that guy, right? Yeah. And, and there's this ongoing joke that we have within the uniform tracker kind of family or whatever, where what we're doing really doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the jerseys don't matter. They don't have an effect on the game. It's not like it's making someone shoot poorly or whatever, depending on what color they're wearing. But, you know, I always go back to that, uh, the men's warehouse tagline where, you know, it's, oh, you'll like the way you look. And it, it has this factor of confidence. And if the players like what the, they're wearing, hopefully it's making them play better. So maybe, I don't know. So I'm not saying the city uniforms are making Tyrese Halliburton shoot poorly from the field. But I mean, he's he's av- he's averaging his highest assists in that jersey. But yeah, so I, I I just think it's funny, and again, superstition plays into it. Of you know, it's interesting to see if these are trends that we'll see continue throughout the season. Right, the data's out there. Read into it what you will. Uh, imagine my delight when I walk into FTX Arena in Miami. I see Tyrese in that gold uniform. I know it's going to be a good night. It was, in fact a good night. So I, I resonate with that a little bit here. Well, all right, Kyle, um, you're doing a, all of this stuff on Twitter and I appreciate your hard work. I know you say, you know, your, your family says it, it doesn't matter. Well, it matters to me. Right. And as we wrap things up today, I want to give you a chance to plug your social handles once again, and anything else you might be working on these next few moments here are yours. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Pacers Uni Tracker. Um, and that's without an E in the tracker. Um, so it's just T-R-A-C-K-R. And then I also started up an Instagram just because, you know, there was the whole thing about whether Twitter's going to exi- or exist or not. So you can also follow me on Instagram at Pacers Uni Tracker. That does have the E. Um, either way, I will pop up. I've been trying to do a good mix of not only game day posts, but also historical posts, comparative posts, like, you know, when Tyrese Halliburton has a stat line that, was mimicked by Jamal Tinsley 18 years earlier or something like that. Also, if you are interested in design and stuff like that, and let's say you design Pacers concepts, send them my way. I'm always interested in looking at uniform concepts or stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I mentioned earlier how I want to have this page be somewhere where I can share that and kind of grow that community. But yeah, so I'm always looking forward to, to anyone wanting to talk design or Pacers by any means. All right. Well, I do at least like Pacers. I'm uh, Some of the design elements I'm getting into, I, I do certainly appreciate it, though. And I'm sure we'll be talking again in the near future. Thanks again, Kyle. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Kyle again for taking the time to come on the show. You know, I figured our conversation would have some continuity to a few other things I've talked about recently, while at the same time being something fun and different. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.